Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. And we'll be turning to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we'll be picking up in verse 18. This world is broken. This world is broken. We get sick. We have aches and pains. We're out of control sometimes when it comes to our weight. (laughs) And... This world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God designed the world to be a perfect paradise for Adam and Eve. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. And the world would be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God through all of humanity ruling over God's creation in His stead. And yet, We sinned, our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and plunged all of humanity into brokenness, sickness, and death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And God planned from the beginning to defeat death. To bring life to the dead. To bring us back to life, to restore us to what we should be. Here we see four miracles that we're going to look at today. Four miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, which I believe point to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and he was God himself who came to restore us to the image of God that we were created to be. He came to restore us to a relationship with Him and also to make a new creation where there's no longer any pain and suffering, sin and death. So let's look at these miracles uh, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 9. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. 
And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. And they were going away, as they were going away, a demon-possessed, oppressed man who was mute brought, was brought to them. And when the demon had been cast out, the, man, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us by it now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe what uh, you say in your word. Help us as we read this, as we hear your word, that we would see you for who you are and not dismiss you like the Pharisees. Father, give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament promised that a Messiah would come, a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve who would one day come and crush Satan's skull. Amen. This descendant of Eve was prophesied and, and we follow this line of the Messiah through the Old Testament. We come to Abraham and God promised Abraham he would have a descendant who would be a king who would bless all nations. We come to David and we see that, that uh, David was promised that he would have a, a son who would be king and sit on his throne forever. And in Isaiah, the passage that Ron read from, we see a description of the times whenever this Messiah would come. Verse 5 and 6 need our attention. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame men shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? I mean, from the passage we're looking at today, we see that a blind man can see. <laughs> and the people that are watching must be thinking, this is the one. This is the one that Isaiah wrote about. And, and, and we, we see there at the end of the passage, a mute man spoke. Same passage, same verses. This is the one. 
This is the Messiah who came. And just a few verses earlier, in the beginning of chapter 9, we looked at this two weeks ago, Jesus healed the paralytic. He was a lame man who leaped for joy. All of the things that Jesus was supposed to be, that the Messiah was supposed to be, when Jesus finally came, people were beginning to see it's just like Isaiah wrote about. So, let's look at each one of these miracles. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. Jesus, uh, in, in both Mark and Luke, it gives us this ruler's name. It was Jairus. Jairus was this ruler and he came knelt before him. The word there is the word for worship. He, he knelt before him. He bowed before Jesus, recognizing who Jesus really was. And he, he asks, my daughter has just died. Mark says, my daughter's at the point of death. And Luke says, my daughter is dying. Okay, We've got different wordings here, but the point is the same. This little girl is either dying or has already died or is right at the point of death. I mean, when you have different people telling a story, it might sound a little bit different. There's not any contradiction there. It's just different perspectives here. But we get the point. She was dying. She was, she, it was, and it was, it, it either just happened or it was about to happen. And it was urgent. Jesus, come now, do something before it's too late. Come and lay your hand on her and she'll live. And Jesus arose and followed him with his disciples. He was like, okay. I'm going to do this for you. But verse 20, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch the, his garment, I will be made well. Okay. Just kind of get the idea here. It's urgent. He's got to get to this little girl who's dying or who's going to die. And, and all of a sudden, the narrative breaks. There's an interruption. And Jesus takes time for this woman who'd been suffering for 12 years. When it's urgent. I mean, just think about the implications of this. Um, what would you think would be more urgent? A little girl who's about to die... Or an older lady who has been suffering for something for 12 years. I mean, what, another couple of days isn't going to matter much, is it? I think that's the why, uh, the why Matthew, Mark, and Luke all insert this miracle in the midst of this. It's showing us Jesus is taking his time in the midst of a hurry. He's not, he's not uh, 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 troubled by, by, by being in a hurry because everyone else is around. I mean, and he cares enough, just like he cares for this young girl who's about to die, he also cares for this woman. This woman who had suffered for so many years. Twelve years. An issue of blood. Um, this issue of blood would have made her ceremonially unclean. 
In the law of the Old Testament, it, it means that she wouldn't have been able to participate in worship. She would have been shunned from being able to be a part of the rest of the community as they came to worship the Lord. This was not just a physical thing, but it was something that, uh, that kept her from being able to participate in the whole community. She was shunned for it. So we're all in a hurry trying to get to this little girl. And Jesus takes time to heal this woman. Now he's just passing by and she sees him. And she thinks it's Jesus. I've heard about him. Oh, if I can just get close enough, I can just touch the hem of his garment. I can be healed. In the other Gospels, when this happens, Jesus, uh, it says Jesus noticed that power came out of him. He, and, and he turned and he, and he said, who touched me? It, those details are left out of this one. It's, it's, it's kind of more compressed so that we see it in fewer words. But here, he says, he, it says he turned and he's seeing her. He said, Daughter, or take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. He takes the time to turn around and give a word of encouragement. You know, just kind of step back and make a little application for us. Sometimes we're in so much of a hurry doing ministry or doing things that we feel like we need to get done that we don't take the time to just turn to someone and give them some encouragement. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to stop what we're doing and encourage those around us who need it. That's what Jesus did. He said, take heart, daughter. And he calls her daughter. It wasn't his physical daughter, but he was recognizing it was a term of endearment. You know, she was, she was precious to him. Take heart, daughter. Cared about her. And he says, your faith has made you well. Now here I want to warn us about something. There are, I believe, the, the prosperity gospel, which I think is a false gospel, it's false teaching, will tell you, if you just have enough faith, then you'll be healed. If you just have enough faith, that's not how it works. In truth, we can have all the faith, we can be doing everything just right, and God allows us to continue in suffering. Look at the life of Job. We look at the life of Job. He, I mean, the, the book tells us he was righteous and blameless. There was nobody like him. And yet God allowed suffering to come into his life. We, he, Job didn't see all the picture. He didn't know that what was going on. That there was some kind of a test going on. But we as the readers know, God has something bigger in store. God is doing something to show, to show us that sometimes the righteous suffer. And it's about God's big plan and we don't really know all the answers. 
And it's okay that there's mystery there. If you're suffering from something that you've prayed about and prayed about and prayed about, and you believe that God will heal you or whatever, and it just hasn't happened yet, don't be discouraged. Don't be beaten down by the idea of, if I just had enough faith, don't feel that way. Sometimes He allows us to stay in that so that we can trust in Him and He can show Himself to be sufficient. Thy grace is sufficient for me, what Paul said. He prayed for His thorn in the flesh to be removed. And finally, He said, Your grace is enough. But for this woman, this woman that was there with Jesus, he recognizes her faith and he tells her, your faith has made you well. While our faith may not heal us physically, it may or it may not, it's totally up to God. Our faith does make us well in the sense that it's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith that we're saved. We look to Jesus. We know that He is the one who came to save us. We look to the cross and what He did for us as He died for us hanging on that tree. We look to Him and we know He did that for me. He did that to wash away my sin. He did that so that I could be forgiven. And one of these days... I may go into the ground and my body's going to rot and become worm food, but He's going to come back and we're going to raise to be with Him one day. We may not see healing in this life, but if we trust in Jesus, He's going to raise us from the dead. He's going to raise us from the dead and there is no healing better than that. When He heals us then, there will no longer be any sickness, no longer be any sadness, no longer be any sin, no longer be any death. Amen. So, we return back to this urgency of getting to this little girl. He says, uh, it says, uh, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. In those days, um, they hired professional mourners when someone would die. And it was like a mandatory custom. If you didn't do it, you were, you know, you had to do it. It was just, it was like, we think funerals are expensive today. (laughs) Well, you know, they had their customs that they had to do. It was a required cost they had to hire mourners because you wouldn't want to go to a funeral and nobody was there that was mourning so they'd hire these mourners and they would wail and they would wear sackcloth and ashes and they'd they'd play these dirges on the flute he saw these professional mourners that were there and he says go away (laughs) the girl's not dead she's asleep Now, these are professional mourners, okay? They know a dead body when they see one. (laughs) They weren't going to start the party early, so to speak. They knew she was dead. And so whenever Jesus says, go away, she's not dead, she's only sleeping, what do they do? They laugh at him. (laughs) Of course, we know a dead body when we see it. 
Jesus tells them, and he, they go out, and when the crowd goes outside, he went in, he takes her by the hand, and the little girl arose. He raised her from the dead. A couple of things here. One, Jesus had the power during his earthly ministry to raise people from the dead. We saw it in him, in this little girl. We saw it, we see it later in the life of Lazarus. And then finally, he does it to himself. <laughs> he raises himself from the dead. Three days later, this little girl arose because Jesus has power over life and death. And then it tells us that the report of this went through all the district. You couldn't keep people from telling about it. The news spread. People kept hearing about Jesus. When Jesus does a miracle, the word gets around. When he changes a life, you can't keep it in. People are going to know. Verse 27. Here's a new miracle. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David! They recognized Jesus for who he was. This term, son of David, is important. Especially here in Matthew. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we come, we open up the New Testament with a genealogy that leads us from Abraham to David and to Jesus. And it tells us this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, that's important. It's saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting for. So me trying to link this to a messianic expectation is not just me coming up with that out of my head. It's here in the text. These blind men are saying, this is the one. This is, this is the son of David. And he's crying out, they're crying out, have mercy on us. So we entered the house. The blind men came to him and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They're like, we wouldn't be crying out if we didn't. <laughs> they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and according to their faith, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. He healed them. Again, just like in the first, in the miracle with uh, the woman with the issue of blood, here, there's a connection between their faith and the healing. According to your faith, let it be done. Um. One more thing about this healing of the blind men. Did you know if you can scour your, the Old Testament and you will never find a blind man that was born blind that was healed? Never. Throughout all of the Old Testament. No prophet did it. Nobody else in the Old Testament did a healing of a blind man who was born blind. There is one case of someone who was struck blind and then later receives their sight. But no one who was born blind becomes able to see again. This is something new that only Jesus could do. 
We, we already looked at the passage from Isaiah 35 where um, Ron read and, and it says the eyes of the blind will be open. This is something they were expecting when the Messiah would come. That was what was going to happen. Psalm 146, and I believe it's verse 8, says that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Who does? The Lord. God is the one who heals the blind. And here, Jesus does something that only God can do. He heals. He opens the eyes of this these blind men. Their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. Don't tell anybody. Why did Jesus tell them not to tell anybody? I think, and you see this a lot in the Gospels, of Jesus warning people, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I'm like, Jesus, Why? We want everybody to know you're here. We want to celebrate. Why are you telling us not to tell anyone? I think the best understanding of this is that his time had not come yet. He did not want everyone to, to come and try to make him king or something. Or he didn't want to, to, to quicken the events of what led up to the crucifixion. He was waiting for the moment that that would happen. And if word got out too quickly, then, you know, it's not that things were going to, to uh, change what God's will had preordained was going to happen, but at the same time, that was probably why he was warning people not to, to tell anybody. He didn't want the word to get around so that the Pharisees would go out and try to kill him or something like that. But after the warning, what do they do? Verse 31. But they went and spread his fame throughout all the district. Well, so much gratefulness for getting healed. They go out and do exactly what he told them not to do. <laughs> you can't keep Jesus on a lid, a lid on Jesus. When he does a miracle... Word's going to get out. Now finally, we haven't come to the last miracle. Verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute brought, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. So this demon-oppressed man couldn't speak. Jesus heals him. He begins to speak. And you have two responses. One, they marvel. Say, we've never seen anything like this. The response that we get from Jesus in all of these miracles up to this point are amazement and they're recognizing Jesus for who He is. He's the Messiah. He's doing what only God can do. But then you have the Pharisees. They didn't respond the way they should have responded. Instead, they say, huh, He's casting out demons. Well, he must be casting out demons by the power of demons himself. 
They were attributing what God had done to Satan. Now we have, when we are presented with Jesus, we have two responses that we can make. We have two responses we can make, each one of us. We can recognize him for who he is and we can give him glory and we can worship him because he is worthy of it. Or we can dismiss him like the Pharisees. We can dismiss him, say, huh, he cast out demons by the power of demons. Or today in our society, we're so secular we don't say he cast out demons by the power of demons. We say it must have been a delusion. It must have been a mass delusion. Or we might say, well, there's some kind of a naturalistic explanation for this. Or we say, all oh, this were just a bunch of myths and people didn't really understand how things worked back then. That's how people respond in the same way the Pharisees did. When we're confronted with Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus that we've read about this morning, we have those two options. We can recognize him for who he is and worship him, or we can dismiss him. And then those, those who dismiss him, Jesus said, of those who, who said to him, you know, he casts out demons by the power of demons. In another place, when the Pharisees said that, he warns them that they are very in danger of committing what they call blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is, um, he, he, he says, every sin and transgression will be forgiven among men against sin against the Son of Man, but those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They're saying he cast out demons by the power of demons. To dismiss Jesus is dangerous. It can only lead to destruction. And when we recognize Jesus for who he is, when he opens up our blind eyes, I once was lost. But now I'm found with blind, but now I see. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.